0: Oh uh. everybody, here we go. Another edition of Jamal About Sports coming to you on a Tuesday night, March 6th, 2018. That was zap and more bounce to the ounce. Um, We've got a big show to get to. We've got uh, news and notes from the NFL Combine, which wrapped up yesterday. Uh, We've got a little bit of college basketball as March Madness descends upon us. And we'll also talk a little bit of METS, some spring training observations. Uh, But we we begin with uh, the combine. And um, look, (laughs) combine, a lot of people deride the combine. They call it the underwear Olympics. Um, You know, there's the... The uh, cautionary tale, if you will, for NFL teams, the poster child for a guy that blew up at the combine and then did nothing in the pros and was completely overdrafted as a result of his combine performance. And that was Mike Mamula, defensive end from Boston College, probably, gosh, about 20 years ago now. It's got to be the Eagles drafted him. He was uh, not particularly highly regarded, but he measured great. He tested great. He looked great. Um, but he didn't play great. And so, you know, teams, I think, have gotten smarter about what the combine can and should be used for and what it shouldn't be used for. You know, look, my, my mantra, AG's mantra, trust your eyes, trust the tape, right? Watch what a guy does on film in actual football situations, actually playing the sport, not doing these preconceived drills, running, jumping. I mean, look, again, it can inform your decision and your opinion somewhat, but it should not certainly be the end-all be-all. And so, you know, look, a good example, right? Antonio Brown was a sixth-round pick, right? You could argue he's the best receiver in the NFL, if not the best, certainly one of them. Right, not a particularly big guy, right? 5'10, maybe about 190 pounds. He ran 4'57 at the Combine. Now, probably a couple of reasons why he was a 6 round pick. He went to Central Michigan, right? So uh, a lesser conference, not a power five conference, not great size at 5'10, 190. And when you're 5'10, 190, teams want you to probably run faster than 457. Now, I'll bet though, if you watched his tape at Central Michigan, you probably never saw anybody catch him from behind, right? Again, I always I come back to this. It sound like a broken record. Jerry Rice ran four six. You remember him getting tackled from behind much in the pros? So, you know, look. Antonio Brown ran a four five seven. Richard Sherman ran four six, fifth round pick. Cam Chancellor ran a four six five, fifth round pick. Forty times. Are nice. You know, the fact that Saquon Barkley at 233 pounds ran a 4.440, that's great. But you know what? Watch his tape at Penn State. If he ran a 4.55 at the 40, it wouldn't have changed my opinion of him because I can see that the guy has big playability, but it's by watching the tape, watching him live in games. So, you know, the combine can be used to confirm sort of what you already thought you knew. Right, you know. Look, AG and I. Everybody's gushing about Shaq Griffin, Shaquem Griffin, and and rightfully so. Right, put a a prosthetic hand on and bench press. You know, did the did the two twenty five? Did it twenty times? All right. Uh, He ran a four three eight at two hundred and twenty seven pounds. But if you watch his film, he looks like a guy who runs four three eight. I was surprised he ran that fast. Just because he doesn't look like a guy that's going to run that fast. Because a lot of guys who are 227 pounds, I don't care if they play running back, linebacker safety, don't run that fast. And again, we talked about it last week. He's not exactly body beautiful. All he does is make plays. You love his tenacity and what he's, have, what he's overcome in his life. Again, he'll tell you it's not a big deal. right? He had his hand amputated when he was four. He doesn't know any other way. But it's certainly unusual, and certainly, you know, you bear you pay attention to it. Now, it hasn't hindered him in his college career. So, A.G. and I were all low. I wasn't surprised that he blew up at the Combine. But again, had he not blown up at the Combine, had he run a 4-6, I'll still take him in the third round because I just watch him on film. You know, Obi-Mellon Wanfu... Blew up at the combine last year, right? 6'4", 220 pounds. I think he ran ran sub-4, 5. And he had decent film at Connecticut as a safety. And I'm not saying he's not going to be a good player. He didn't do a whole lot his rookie year for the Raiders. You know, now there are exceptions. Ziggy Ansah had a very good combine, but he also had a very good senior bowl week. He had a good senior bowl game. Where they're coached by pro coaches And he's playing against elite college competition Practicing against elite college competition And then he also Blew up at the combine You know at 270 something pounds He ran a 4.64 I think But again That just confirmed what you saw On tape The Lions took him 5th As a raw prospect He had a very solid rookie year With 8.5 sacks And he's been a good above average defensive end When he's been healthy So, you know, people go crazy They make a big deal about it And look, it's fun It's supposed to be fun Right? And it's great when you see a guy Like Shaquem Griffin do that Because there will still be doubters out there I'm sure Oh, Central Florida He has, you know, he doesn't have a left hand He doesn't look the part As far as his body type is concerned You know, he's 6 feet, 227 Although, if you pay attention the trend now in the NFL, that's the size linebackers are now. Quan Alexander is a very good linebacker for Tampa Bay. That's he's that size. Deion Jones from the Falcons, he might not even be 227. He's like 220 pounds. So the trend now in the NFL, because teams are in sub-packages 80, probably 70 to 80% of the time, and by sub-package, I mean basically nickel or dime, is, you know, the days of the thumper. Strong side, linebacker, set the edge 250 pounds in a 4-3 Those guys are gone They don't exist because you barely ever play that defense anymore Because it's a pass-happy league So now the the, the the trend is for smaller, faster guys That can move and cover So Shaq Griffin at six foot, two twenty-seven. That's now the prototypical size for a linebacker at worst, as we said, he'll be a sub-package guy and a core special teams guy. All four phases. But to me, you could start him probably day one as a weak side linebacker. Now, in a 3-4, might be a little different. He might have to play inside. But if you've got a nose that's, that, that can take an anchor and take two guys and both your DNs in a 3-4... Are big, thick, burly guys, which typically they are, and they're there basically to take to take up and 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 take up blocks, take on blockers, and free the linebackers to run and make plays. Listen, the Lions draft Shaquem Griffin and say the third round. I mean, linebacker supposedly is not a huge need for the Lions. But, you know, with Matt Patricia now as the head coach, a guy who's gonna scheme. Week to week, there may be weeks where the Lions might need to play. They may play with four linebackers. And right now, they don't have the depth on the roster to do it. Look, he's a good football player. I'll take him on my team any day of the week. So, you know, look, everybody looked at the the quarterbacks, right? Everyone drooled over Josh Allen, which I knew they were, right? He's 6'5", 237, 237. He ran 4-7. Basically, they compared him to Carson Wentz, right? All the measurables were the same as Carson Wentz. Probably has a stronger arm than Carson Wentz. Mike Mayock, by the way, used the idiotic analogy of Jamarcus Russell as far as, quote-unquote, arm talent. As Mike Mayock says, arm talent. (laughs) I mean, I love you, Mike, but, I mean, geez, give it a rest. It's called arm strength, okay? I don't know if he invented that annoying term, but now everybody uses it. It's called arm strength. So, look, everybody drooled over Josh Allen. He made some great throws, right? He throws the ball 70 yards in the air pretty effortlessly. This is a guy who played at Wyoming, didn't have a lot of talent around him, but did not dominate. You would you would think a guy with those measurables and that physical ability would dominate at that level. You would. You know, Poor completion percentage, 56%, and typically guys that have bad completion percentages or low completion percentages in college, it doesn't improve a ton in the pros. Now, to be fair, completion percentage can be overrated. I mean, anybody can have a high completion percentage if you run a dink and dunk offense. If you're going to take shots down the field, of course, you know, stands to reason your completion percentage is going to be lower. So I'm not going to go crazy about his low completion percentage. Again, I'd have to watch every game. I watch a couple of games this year, particularly his bowl game. He looked great in the bowl game. I mean, he throws that one pass that they show all the time now. I watched it live. I'm on mean, my jaw, hit the, the, the ground. I mean, he throws a, a, a skinny post 25, 30 yards on a rope. In the air with RPMs that you don't see. I mean, he, he, maybe Matt Stafford makes that throw in the pros. Maybe. I don't even know he has that strong an arm. And he's got maybe, if not one, the, if not the one of the strongest arms in the NFL. So there's a lot to like with Josh Allen. I get that. And I'll tell you a couple of things I like about him. He has not shied away from any of the criticism, he has not been thin skinned, he hasn't been defensive. He said, I'll go play anywhere. There's a lot to work with there Now, to me He needs to go to a team where he's going to sit For at least a year And with the right you know, you know what a perfect place for him would have been And it still might be But it would have been perfect for him Would have been Arizona If they had a bridge veteran there for a year Or two Or if they want to suck it up with Drew Stanton for a year And let Bruce Arians get his hands on Josh Allen A guy who loves to take shots down the field Strong running game take shots down the field, a lot of deep crosses and deep ins. That's a Bruce Arians staple. That, that would be perfect. That would have been a perfect place for Josh Allen. But B.A. retired, so that's not an option. But that would have been a perfect place for a kid like that. So he's got to go someplace. You know, Cleveland <laughs> should not be the place for him to go. I understand they've got a new sheriff in town there. Uh, and Hugh Jackson has a reputation As being a good quarterback guy As a coach mm, I don't know You'd like to see him go somewhere else And not get thrown right into the fire But to me You're talking about the quarterbacks The guy who's the most pro ready right now And if I'm the Jets and he's still there I sprint to the podium to hand my card in with his name on it is Baker Mayfield If Baker Mayfield Were 6'3", it wouldn't even be a discussion He would easily be rated The number one quarterback In this draft So he's one. So what? He's one. He's 220 pounds So he's not slight He's not frail You don't worry about him Getting hurt Now could he get hurt In the pros? Of course Anybody get hurt In the pros But you don't worry about it By looking at his frame Thick lower half And all the comparisons Between him and Johnny Manziel To me First of all They're just factually incorrect And say it's just lazy It's just lazy Look, Johnny Manziel was concerned more about being a star And being the the character of Johnny Football Than he was about playing football Baker Mayfield, while his personality may rub people the wrong way You know, the flag planting at the middle of the field against Ohio State Right, he grabbed his crotch and screamed FU at the Kansas sideline By the way, after the pregame coin toss, the Kansas players Neglected to shake his hand Elected to not shake his hand First of all, Kansas, who are you? You're lucky you even have a program And second of all, that's a Bush League move Now, of course, would you like a quarterback to be above that? I guess We've talked about this with him before That guy's a dog in a good way He's got fight in him in a good way And the players love him And that's what you need in a quarterback Get on my back, I will lead you I will carry you And Baker Mayfield has it in spades he'd be perfect for the jets you know did you are, are you concerned about the fact that he got drunk and tried to run away from cops yeah i guess that's concerning a million college kids have done that by the way and not gotten caught and never had an issue again so you know again you know my thing with the off the field stuff don't drink and drive don't hit women Don't have guns illegally All the other stuff You could probably chalk it up to being To college kids being college kids right? you get caught with some pot Big deal Pot's going to, should anyway Well, not with this administration But uh, in in the next five years Pot will be legal probably In in half the country right? it's already legal in several states now Recreationally And then more states from a medical standpoint so that's not a big deal to me You know, a little drunken disorderly Eh I mean, a perfect example Gazer Sherilis so a first round pick Out of BC Giant mammoth of a man Offensive tackle The lines drafted Back in, I want to say, 08 Now, the off the field thing on him Was he got in a bar fight And he clocked some dude But then you dug a little deeper And he was actually defending A friend of his Who was a much smaller Normal sized guy Against the guy who was Gaza Sheryls bigger than this guy? Yeah, because Gaza Sheryls is gonna be bigger than most people. But he was defending somebody, and the guy was acting like a jerk. And, by, and guess what? Gaza Sheryls really never had any off the field issues at all, and played in the league for, I think, close to 10 years. So, you know, you gotta, you gotta look at every, every case and every incident in its entirety and as an individual thing. You can't paint people with a broad brush. So, to me, the comparisons between Mayfield and Manziel, why? Because they're both short, white quarterbacks who run around a lot? I mean, that's just lazy. First of all, Baker Mayfield doesn't look anything like Manziel physically. He's a much thicker, heavier guy, and not in a bad way. Yeah, are their playing styles somewhat similar? Yeah, but Manziel was much faster than Mayfield. Mayfield's not particularly fast. I think he ran 4'8". But he's elusive But he's the most accurate Of any of the guys in this draft Including Josh Rosen Who everybody loves Because he looks the part He's right at essential casting UCLA 6'4 215 220 Throws a beautiful deep ball That's great And Josh Rosen May be a good player In the NFL He's also kind of Slightly built And has had injury issues already So to me If I'm the Jets I sprint to the podium and hand in the card for Baker Mayfield. Not even a question. And then in round two, you go get Will Hernandez, the mammoth guard from UTEP, who ran 5.15 at 330 pounds or whatever it was. Which, again, you don't, you know, hey, 40-yard dash time for a guard is about as relevant as, um, you know, I can't even think of an analogy. It's irrelevant, basically. You know, Larry Warford ran like a five five forty. He's been a very good. He's been an above average guard in the, in the league. First for the Lions, and, and last year with the Saints. So, but is it nice if a guy can move like that? Sure, particularly if your team wants to have your guards pull. But again, that's running in a straight line. That's not even indicative of a guard's ability to pull. Pulling and running in a straight line are two different things. There's an art to being a pulling guard. Right, you got to have light feet. Running a forty doesn't necessarily an indicator of light feet. So again, combine's fun. I watched a bunch of it over the weekend. I'm not going to lie, you know, it's a fun thing to do. But to to use it as as a huge measuring stick for where you would draft somebody to me is 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 folly. A couple other guys that stood out: uh, the Davenport kid from University of Texas San Antonio who a lot of people are comparing to Ziggy Ansah. Um, he looked really good, you know, ran a great time at 6'6", six, six, nearly 6'6", six, six and 260-something pounds. Um, you know, a raw prospect. Again, lower level of competition. Um, again, that's the kind of guy you get him. You, you're confident in your coaches and your program that the physical tools are there. By all indication, that want to is there. So then it's incumbent upon you as a staff to get the kid to play to his potential. Harold Landry, the kid from BC, AG and I referenced him last week. You know, not huge, 6'2 and a half, maybe close to 6'3, 250 something pounds. Uh, also ran a very good 40 time, but more importantly, looked very fluid in the in see the the in, in, in some of the movement drills and the coverage drills as a linebacker. And that is more important to me than running a 40. How do you move in space? Can you flip your hips and turn and run with the guy? You know, Can you locate the ball in the air? You know, be, It's great to have straight line speed. You know, Other than corners, nobody really runs 40 yards in a deadline. I mean, I guess wide receivers do too, but never in a full sprint. Even on a go pattern, you're going to probably run a little bit slow to start. And the only time a corner is going to probably run 40 yards is if he's maybe beat and he's got to catch up. And you want to have catch up speed. I get it. You know, and you'd like to see, obviously, a running back have the ability... I'd like to see running backs have the, you know, ability to break uh, long runs occasionally. I get it. But again, 40 time is not the end-all, be-all. So it was fun. You know, I mean, look, when, the, when, when Griffin benched 20, did 20 reps of 225, and all, all the other players were around him Rooting him on I mean, it's a great, it's a great scene, no question No question about it It was a great scene Alright, we'll take a short break We'll be back right after this Okay, we are back here on a Tuesday night edition Of Jamal About Sports On to college basketball March Madness But really, this is going to be more about college athletics More than anything And, and the state of college athletics As, you know There's been this ongoing FBI investigation Lots of schools named All the big names Duke, North Carolina, Arizona Michigan State, Maryland Just to name a few uh, Have all, Louisville um, Have all been named As doing something improper As far as benefits to athletes or recruits uh, either current players or players, or players that are on their teams that were maybe that were probably that were recruits at the time, uh, you know, cash being uh, exchanged, all kinds of stuff, and you know, listen, I, I think everybody, nobody's naive here. We all probably know that this stuff has gone on for a long time. Um, you know, part of it, I think, it's only gotten worse with the advent of the one and done. With the, the the idiotic rule where players have to go to college for one year, I mean, there's there's nothing dumber than that. I mean, these kids, they, they you know the really good ones, right, that are going to go for one year and leave, like Kentucky, and Cal Parry does every year. I mean, good good for them. They all go into pros. Well, why make these kids go to college for a year? If you're good enough to play in the pros, if you're good enough to play one year in college and then go be a high draft pick, you don't need one year of college. And they're not learning anything. They're not exactly embracing the campus lifestyle. Believe me, I I know. Okay, I can tell you, I went to a school, University of Maryland, that had big-time basketball for sure and football. I mean, they weren't very good when I was there, but these were big-time recruits. These were kids and guys that got recruited by other good schools and went to Maryland because they thought it was going to be something. Right. Maryland was good in the mid to late eighties by the time I showed up. They got bad when, as soon as I got there. Right. And a lot of it had to do with the Len Bias situation. But what I can tell you is that having worked for the football team and being around these guys, they are treated completely differently. Not that this is a news flash, but most of these guys are not exactly, you know, hanging around college type guys, just, you know, kicking it on the quad with the you know the regular students. And I'm not this is not a criticism. It's just an observation, it's just a fact. So, you know, what are these kids going to college for? You're not really learning academically. You're not really learning the social skills, of how to interact with people that are I mean, I'm not and look, I don't want to paint all and again, this is not a criticism. And I'm sure not all the kids are like this. I mean, look, Brian Williams R.I.P. You know, who then became Bison Dele Who unfortunately is no longer with us He played his first year at Maryland I got to meet him because he was good friends with one of my good buddies on the football team He was as cool and as nice a guy as you'll ever meet Right? 6'11 You know, stud basketball player And like we, I remember hanging out one night Listening to Smiths with the guy of all bands and then also dancing at a bar that was frequented by the football and basketball players. And I got to basically tag along for the ride, even though I had the worst fake ID known to man. And he, he and I dancing with a couple of girls on the dance floor to uh, push it by salt and pepper. I'll never forget it. So, you know, not everybody is, you know, I'm not saying all these guys don't hang out with regular college students or whatever. But it, just, it seems silly that we're making kids go to school for one year when they're going to just go to the pros after a year. And to, to pretend for even a second that these kids are student-athletes anymore is dumb, to pretend that this is uh, somehow an amateur endeavor is dumb, when Nick Saban makes $8 million a year and Tom Izzo makes $6 million a year and the Big Ten has their own network and the SEC has its own network and the ACC has its own network and the Big East has – I mean, it, you know the Big East used to have its own network. I don't think it does anymore because there's no you – know, the Big East that you and I once knew, Syracuse, Georgetown, St. John's, Providence, Villanova, I mean, those, those days are gone. BC, I mean, BC is somehow in the ACC as is Syracuse, which is sacrilege. To somebody of my age um, But, I mean, it's just It's big business I mean, l- look at it this way The Big Ten, okay Which was predominantly And still is A Midwestern, geographically speaking Conference Just had their college basketball tournament A week before all the other College basketball tournaments In New York City At Madison Square Garden Why? Because They want to expand Into the New York market Which is basically another way of saying We want to make more money I mean Rutgers is already in the Big Ten Why? Money Maryland joined the Big Ten three years ago Why? Money That's it No other reason As a Maryland alum I was appalled at the time I'm appalled now and I understand we were always a red-headed stepchild in the ACC. What do you think we're going to be now? First of all, we're a joke in football in the Big Ten, an absolute joke. At least when Ralph Friedgen was the coach, the head football coach at Maryland, we could compete in the ACC. In the Big Ten, we're a laughingstock. We're Indiana, not even. And in basketball, had a couple of good years under Mark Turgeon, had a miserable year this year, missed the NCAA tournament. He should be gone, by the way. It's been seven years. You want to give him a pass for the first year because it wasn't his guys and he took over for, you know, to be fair, Gary Williams wasn't exactly probably lighting the candle at both ends his last years at Maryland. So the cupboard was slightly bare. So you want to give Turgeon a pass on year one? Okay. But he's so if you're going to look at six years, they made the tournament three and missed three? Uh uh-uh, uh, unacceptable. We're not Towson. Or Towson, as my Baltimore brethren might say. You know, we're the University of Maryland. We should make the tournament every year. Like, that, that should be the baseline. Right? If you're Maryland basketball, you should make the tournament every year. I mean, you know, barring some unforeseen calamity where, you know, three of your starters get hurt or something like that. So, three years in, three years out, uh-uh. And the best, year, the best they did is they made the Sweet 16? Sorry not great I digress So college sports and this is no surprise I mean there's no news flash completely run by money So now it's come to such a head that you've got the commissioner of the NBA Adam Silver exploring possibilities where they expand the what's now the G League of course because we have to have Gatorade attached to everything Right, That's basketball related we have to have The G League, man Used to be the D League For the developmental league But you know, right now, those guys don't make a whole lot of money It's like 20, 30, 25, 30 grand Now some of these guys On two-way contracts They get paid a higher rate When they play in the NBA And they can go back and forth But only a couple of players are allowed to do that It's not like baseball Where you can call up as many guys as you want so, But they're exploring options there They're exploring options of getting these kids Even in high school Although what that's going to probably do Is open up another can, can of worms Where, you know Agents are getting in touch with kids in high school Now they probably already are I mean, LeBron James probably had an agent When he when he was in high school You know, in, in so far In so much as He had people advising him and guys he knew were going to be his team, his marketing team, his agents already because he was, you know, he's a generational talent. And that's, you know, look, it is what it is. I mean, listen, again, nobody's handled themselves in a more extraordinary fashion, given given the fact that this kid was in the spotlight by the time he was 14 than LeBron James. No one. I understand sometimes he pops off on Twitter and he rubs people the wrong way here and there. But, I mean, if that's his greatest crime, please. So, you know, you got the sneaker companies involved, right, paying off coach. I mean, it's, 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 it's insane. And then you have Tubby Smith, right, the old Kentucky coach. And I think he coached at Minnesota. All, no, that was Clem Haskins, sorry. He coached at Kentucky. I think he's coaching in Memphis now. Um, Saying that uh, Kids transferring They've made the transfer rules easier So now it's a license for kids to quit Oh okay Okay coach So it's okay For you guys To move around as much as you want But the players can't Right Okay I mean talk about tone deaf And out of touch Now I understand to a certain extent What he means Right Look it's Unfortunately, it seems to be pervasive With the younger generation Where everybody wants everything right away Nobody wants to grind Pay their dues Work for it. Everyone wants to be a star right away Whether it's sports, entertainment What have you Nobody wants to, to pay their dues Everybody wants They want it right now Look at the Kardashians They got famous somehow with having no talent Why, why can't I be like them? These idiot YouTube stars, whatever, right, permeates everything. So you know the the and 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 to look to be there is something to be said for maybe not have if you have legit talent to not have to grind. You know, if you're an entertainment person or if you're you know sports guy, to not have to go work in Tuscaloosa for ten years or five years or even a year. And you can get yourself found right away, great. More power to you if you actually have talent. Same in sports. Okay. If you're LeBron James, yeah, you can go to the pros and be great right away. Yes. But not everybody's LeBron James. No one is LeBron James, actually. So, you know. I mean, who is that kid? And he turned into a pretty good NBA player. Uh, oh my God. Last name is Lewis. He ended up getting drafted in the second round By the Sonics But he came right This was when you could still come from high school And go to the pros And they saw he was there They got invited to the draft And he was literally crying in the green room I mean he was sad He felt bad for the kid Now to his credit He turned himself into a good NBA player It didn't happen overnight Oh what is this guy's name It's going to drive me nuts Hold on Let's see if we can do a quick Google search Something Lewis. He played for the Magic. He played for a bunch. He ended up getting a big contract. Let's see. Let's see if we can get this. Uh, Rashard Lewis. Rashard Lewis. That's who it was. Rashard Lewis. Um, but again, you know, cautionary tale, right? He thought he was going to go in the NBA and be a star right away. He was a second round pick. Now, again, to his credit, he worked hard. Turned himself into a very good NBA player and got made a lot of money. But, I mean, when are we just going to stop with the pretense that college sports is not professional sports? So I think there may be a, 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 a good consequence here from all these supposed scandals that are happening now in college basketball, which is people are going to take a long, hard look at this finally and realize that something needs, you know big changes are in order. All right, we'll take a short break again, and we'll be back with a little New York Metropolitan Baseball right after this. All righty. We are back on a Tuesday night edition of Jamal About Sports, talking a little New York Metropolitan Baseball. So I've watched a fair amount of spring games. First of all, that's one thing that's amazing now. Almost every spring training game is televised, whether it's on SNY, Team Picks, or if it's on uh, the MLB channel I mean, they're they all over the place it's, 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 it's rare It used to be rare When a spring training game was on television Now it's rare when it's not So, as a result, I've gotten uh, To see a lot of Spring training ball And a couple of things Have popped out So, one, the health of the pitchers Right? You know, Syndergaard, I think I talked, we talked about a little bit last week, and he had through 22 pitches his first out, and 11 of which were 100 miles an hour. I mean, it was crazy. He looks healthy. He is healthy. That's all that matters. Matt Harvey looks healthy. Has he looked great? No, but he's been healthy. Wheeler has been healthy. Max has looked terrible, but he's healthy. DeGrom has a minor back issue. Not a big deal. He threw a bullpen today. He's healthy, right? As long as those guys are healthy, Mets have a shot Now, again Is it wise To think that Four or five of those guys Are going to make 30 starts each? No You know, Jason Vargas being the other You know, he is, he's a soft-tossing lefty Your classic, you know, crafty lefty guy He should Stay healthy all year But you never know But that's why they've got guys like Seth Lugo And Rafael Montero and who's the other guy I'm forgetting? Oh, and Gesellman. So they right now look like they're about eight deep, which you probably need to be in today's baseball. You have to have eight kind of legit starters now. And now I'm not saying Montero is legit. He showed some signs last year. He certainly has ability and stuff. Lugo had some success He's not great. I mean, he's are back end of the rotation guys. So don't get me wrong. I'm not saying they're gonna. You know, if Syndergaard goes down again for most of the year, it's gonna be a, a huge blow. You know, if Degrom goes down for a major portion of the year, it's gonna be a huge blow. But you know, if they have to miss a start or two or five, and you call up one of those other guys, be it Lugo or Montero or Gaselman, you know, for five or seven starts, those guys, you know, you, have, you, you can give you a shot to win. That's what you're looking for. So I think the Mets are in decent shape there. Uh the leadoff spot, as far as the batting order is concerned, right it, to me it's very simple. It's Brandon Nimmo End of discussion. The guy has a great eye. He had a 380 on base percentage last year. Granted, it wasn't in a full year, but he's known for doing that. He did it in the minors. Right? Uh, he's a lefty. He's a lefty. You like that as a hitter. He's got okay speed, not great, but the Mets are not going to steal any bases anyway. The days of leadoff men being stolen base guys are gone. Uh, they, they're, they're gone with the dodo bird. I mean, it, it doesn't exist. You have a couple of outliers like Billy Hamilton with the Reds. Other than that, nobody steals bases anymore. So, you know, you just need him to be fast enough. But really, you want a guy with a good eye, which he has. Every, he gives you a good at-bat every at-bat. Whether he makes an out or not, draws a walk, gets a hit, he gives you a good at-bat every at-bat. Does not give at-bats away. He grinds. He sees a lot of pitches. He's the quintessential leadoff hitter, particularly in today's baseball. Put him in center field. I know everybody loves Juan Ligar's, his glove. I love his glove as well. Sorry. Brendan Nimmo has to be your opening day center fielder and leadoff hitter. Until Michael Conforto comes back And then, by the way Depending on how things go at first base Right now, it looks like Adrian Gonzalez Is going to be the opening day first baseman Because he's looked pretty good He's looked great in the field I mean, I I have to say It is nice to watch a a really smooth fielding first baseman Who's also a lefty, by the way You love your first baseman to also be lefty fielders A.K.A. Keith Hernandez Um, But he is smooth as silk around the bag No doubt And Dom Smith has been hurt, and he was going to have to probably knock the Mets socks off anyway with a great spring to rest the job. And Gonzalez was going to either have to be hurt or have a terrible spring, and Smith was going to have to have a great spring for him to stay with the big club and make the team. He's not. He's been hurt, right? He got off to the bad start by being late for his first game. You know, the Mets, listen, I'll give Callaway credit for this. He handled it the right way. He benched the kid. He didn't make a federal case out of it, right? And he was in the lineup the next day, and he played pretty well. And then, of course, he got hurt because it's the Mets. But he's going to most likely start the year at AAA. Gonzalez will be the everyday first baseman to start the year. If Gonzalez plays well, he's going to be the first baseman. If he either gets hurt or does not play well, and Nimmo, let's just say for argument's sake, Nimmo has a great April. Right, 380 on base percentage Mets are scoring runs He's playing a, a competent center field Defensively And Coforto comes back in May And Gonzalez let's say is having, has a miserable April I think you got to move Jay Bruce to first base And keep Nimmo in the lineup And put Coforto in right You have to Because the Mets don't have anybody else on the team That can hit leadoff Literally no one Rosario's not ready to do it and again, he doesn't fit the profile. He's fast, but fast doesn't mean anything for leadoff hitters anymore. You know, he had like a 270 on base percentage. Now you hope that's going to increase, but I would say the max for him this year would be 320, which is not nearly high enough for a leadoff hitter. Who else could you bat there? Maybe as Drupal Cabrera, maybe. You know, they they toyed with the idea of Todd Frazier. Because he had 83 walks last year And despite the fact that he only hit 215, he had a 340 something on base Percentage, that's all well and good You didn't bring Todd Frazier here to hit leadoff He's a middle of the order run producer And don't tell me Michael Conforto's hitting leadoff When he comes back either That is about as patently absurd a move As there could be, I don't care that he's going to have A 390 on base percentage, again He's going to also hit 320 hopefully With 30 home runs, and if you Bat him where you should, which is third, is going to drive in 100 to 120 runs. Again, this is not the American League. And I understand that Callaway may bet the pitcher eighth sometimes. Whoever is going to hit ninth, probably Rosario, is not a high on base percentage guy anyway. So a lot of times you're going to have your, your first place hitter coming up with two outs and nobody on if the eighth place hitter leads off an inning. Where I want that guy, I want Conforto coming up with men on base all the time. You want Cespedes and Conforto up with men on base Followed by Bruce and Frazier it Makes perfect sense Because those are two professional hitters behind them. And then you throw in even as Dribble Cabrera Also solid professional hitter And maybe, look Maybe even Travis Darnot has a good year He should Travis Darnot should hit Three years ago in 15 he hit when he played But he was always hurt then he had a miserable 2016 And last year he didn't have a very good year Until the end of the year Which he gets somewhat skeptical about You know, they always say Don't trust what you see in March or September When it comes to baseball players I'd say that's true for the most part Unless the guy has somewhat of a track record Which Darno does I mean, he was a big-time prospect He's always supposed to have been a good hitter And he had a really good I mean, he had an 8-something OPS in 2015 And played well in the playoffs in the World Series too, by the way so the Mets should have a good deep lineup. They just don't have a leadoff hitter. Brandon Nimmo is the guy. Which is why the Jay Bruce signing, while I like the guy, and he's a good player, I mean, again, I don't know what a, how great a fit he is for what the Mets need. If you were going to play Conforto in his natural position, that would have been right field. So instead of signing Jay Bruce, perhaps the Mets would have been smarter using some of that money on a pitcher like a Lance Lynn, who's better than Jason Vargas, and then signing a guy like Austin Jackson to a lesser contract to platoon with Brandon Nimmo in center field if you didn't trust Juan Lagares, which I get. That's fine. Because Lagares again, is another guy who's always hurt. And other than one year, isn't, doesn't really cut the mustard offensively. You know, Sandy Alderson, uh, not exactly creative. I mean, again, I like Jay Bruce as a guy. I like him as a player. Just don't know that he's a great fit for this team. All right, that's going to do it for tonight's show. As always, thanks for listening. Check us out on Instagram, JamalAboutSports. On Twitter, at JamalAboutSport. No S, because although you can say mean, hurtful things... Uh, with, with with no repercussions on Twitter, apparently Jamal about sports is too long of a moniker or a handle, so there's no S. Um, also, check us out uh, on uh, Facebook and of course the website JamalAboutSports.com. Thanks for listening. Until next time, peace out.